Do you have a me-first mentality? That sort of thinking needs to change, and we'll explain why next on Abounding Grace. If we're not careful, church and our relationship with God through a local church will all be about me, me first. And there are ministries and churches today that are making consumers instead of making disciples. And then we just become one of the crowd. And when the crowd's yelling, Hosanna, we yell, Hosanna. And if the crowd's yelling, crucify him, crucify him, I wonder. When the trial and tribulations come, will you be ready? Will you stand strong? Have you learned by faith in the good times to be prepared when the storms come to test your foundation? Jesus said it would be so. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. It's time for Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Ed Taylor. Find your place in John chapter 12 as we get ready for another great time in the Word. It may seem strange to you when I tell you that in order to really live, you must first die. But it's true. We must die to ourselves in order to truly live for God. And the passage we're about to look at emphasizes this truth. So often, we come to this place where we need to learn to wait on the Lord because there are things that I don't understand at first. It takes time for things to sink in, for God's will to be revealed. But then notice, his disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then mark these words, then they remembered, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Then they remembered. You know, I found this so valuable in my own heart, so encouraging to me as of late, you know, in the last couple years with all the stress and the pressure and the grief, my mind is just like it's not what it used to be. And, and my memory was already bad to begin with, but now it's really bad. So I'm setting up all these, these reminders and I'm writing things down and, and I really want to remember, but, but you know, God has given me and given you something where we don't even have to rely upon our memories, we don't even have to rely upon whether we write down some task or we have something in our calendar to remind us. Turn over to John 16, just a couple pages, because we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that the disciples didn't even have. And so I don't have to rely just on my mind. I don't have to be so discouraged because the Bible says that we have the Holy Spirit living in us. So notice in chapter 16, verse 13, look at all the gifts that we have by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. He says, Jesus is speaking, he says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit's going to be a guide to us into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. So he's going to speak and notice he will tell you all things to come. Verse 14, he'll glorify me and he will take of what is mine and notice, declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. It's a beautiful work of the Spirit. But there's more. Notice chapter 14, verse 26. Chapter 14, verse 26. We're not left on our own. 
We don't have to be left to our own memories and our own techniques. We have the Holy Spirit actively ministering in our lives. If the scriptures are confusing to you, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. If they're not making sense right now, you'll remember. Because notice, the helper, verse 26, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Yet one more reason why we should be readers of the Bible and we should be listeners of the Bible and Bible study. And we should be putting the word of God into our hearts by memorizing it. Why? Because we're giving the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to bring back things to our remembrance, to bring back things that he has taught us, to use the word of God in our lives. Well, especially like here, the disciples didn't understand, but they did. They didn't understand, but eventually they did. And I'm just here to say, there are some things in your life today that you don't understand, but the understanding is coming. Wait patiently for the Lord. Don't beat yourself up because of a broken mind or a bad memory. There's things you don't understand right now, but the understanding's going to come. The Holy Spirit is the one that leads us into all truth and understanding. Therefore, verse 17, back in John 12, the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this. And the Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, you see that you're accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone out after him. Now, there's even a larger crowd that's following him along. And the reason they're following him is because of the miracle he did with Lazarus. Those that, that were there came and testified. This guy, man, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And that drew a large crowd. But again, Jesus wasn't impressed with crowds. It's too bad that we are overly impressed with crowds. But crowds really literally mean nothing. They could be good, they could be bad. But they don't necessarily mean anything until you examine them. And Jesus not being impressed with crowds reminds us to be careful around crowds, around large gatherings of people. Be careful because there are, there are whole ministries and false teachings designed and built upon this very thing. You know, there's a, there, there's a word that goes out, come on out to this arena, come out to this church where there'll be signs and wonders, come on out. And combined with that is also the false teaching of the idea of, hey, you know, signs and wonders and prosperity and health forever. Something, by the way, that is foreign to the scriptures. The exact opposite is taught in the scriptures of those that follow Jesus, as I'll show you in a moment. But the crowds are gathering because they're, they're tripping out on Lazarus. Now, I have to admit, I would want to meet Lazarus. If I found out Lazarus is in town, the guy that Jesus rose from the dead, I would want to meet him. I mean, if he was in our town, I'd want to be able to meet him, maybe shake his hand and just go like, wow, that was a pretty trippy thing that happened to you on Lazarus. And he goes, yeah, man, you wouldn't believe, you wouldn't believe the half of it. And, and I would want to meet him. I think that would be something interesting, somebody that I would like to speak to, one of the, the people I'd like to speak to when I get to heaven. It's like, I just would, would love to hear the insights or, you know, however that's all going to work. I'd love to, to get to know the brother because what an experience that he had. But we have to be careful when ministries and pastors are appealing to the flesh. You know, that kind of stuff, you know, God just wants to prosper you and he just, you know, you, you don't have enough faith, that's why you're sick and you just come and you give and those are outright appeals to the flesh of man and how careful we need to be. The Bible says Jesus told the disciples, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. 
You know, the, those that follow Jesus, do you know that they all, their lives, all with the exception of Judas and John, all ended in a martyr's death. They were all killed for their faith. History tells us that Matthew was thrust through with a sword in distant Ethiopia. Mark died in Alexandria after being cruelly dragged through the streets of the city. Luke was hung on an olive tree. Of course, some of these were not uh, close followers. They were second-generation followers. Luke died on an olive tree in Greece. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. James the Greater was beheaded in Jerusalem. James the Less was thrown from a high place off the temple, then beaten with a club. Andrew was bound to a cross where he preached to his persecutors until he died. Thomas was run through the body with a lance in the East Indies. Jude was shot to death with arrows. John, the author of this gospel, history tells us that he was put in a cauldron of boiling hot oil. But somehow the oil did not touch him. He did not die miraculously. So what did they do? They took him out of that and they banished him to the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. I mean, you and I have to understand that you have to understand that the life of the Christian is not an easy one. You're not called to prosperity and everything going your way all the time. Exactly, it's the exact opposite. And this confusing message has really, really messed up the church. It's really created, unfortunately, consumers in the church instead of making disciples of Jesus Christ. I'll show you what I mean in a minute from our text. Notice, I think there's a contrast here in verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. There's a lot of crowds coming because of Lazarus, but there is a small little group of people that say, you know what, we want to see Jesus. We're not interested in Lazarus, we want to see Jesus. And that verse happens to be one of the foundational verses of our church. What God gave me long before I moved here. That we, that, that's our heart. Our desire is to magnify Jesus and not man, not a movement, not a ministry. That you would see Jesus in every single area of your life. That you wouldn't be caught off guard by all these other weird things. Taken off guard by the reality that life can be hard. And so I see this as a contrast, but even more so I see it from the teaching of Jesus where Jesus answered and said, Verse 23, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. If we're not careful, church and our relationship with God through a local church will all be about me, me first. And there are ministries and churches today that are making consumers instead of making disciples. And then we just become one of the crowd. And when the crowd's yelling, Hosanna, we yell, Hosanna. And if the crowd's yelling, crucify him, crucify him, I wonder. When the trial and tribulations come, will you be ready? Will you stand strong? Have you learned by faith in the good times to be prepared when the storms come to test your foundation? Jesus said it would be so. Jesus said that you got two guys building the house. The way that you know how their foundation is by what? The wind and the rain and the storms beating on that house. Man, we have to be so careful that we keep the main thing the main thing. And so how does Jesus describe it? Well, he says, look, in verse 
25. If you love your life, then lose it. If you love your life, then lose it for the sake of the gospel. I, I think within this has the idea of ambition. Being careful of worldly ambition. There's worldly ambition and there's godly ambition. There's a good form of ambition and then there's a bad form of ambition. And the ambition that really will get the worst of you is the worldly ambition. In Jeremiah 45.5 it says, Do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them. And I think the key word there is yourself. Do you seek great things for yourself? Don't. Don't invest, or I would say this, don't waste your life just on this world, but rather invest your life by using this world for the next. Jesus said that in your prayer life. Jesus said that for our fasting. Jesus said that for our giving. Really, Jesus said that for every aspect of our lives. But we were raised in a culture, me, myself, and I. Those are the three most important people on the planet. We were raised in a culture that says, stand up for your rights, fight for your rights, make sure your rights are the, but, but the Bible teaches, the Bible says that we surrendered our rights to the one that bought us with his own blood, that his rights now are our rights, and we've surrendered to. And our Savior, the one that we follow, his life was viciously ended by being crucified on a cross after he was tortured. That's the end of his life. That's the reward. What looked like a failure ended up being a victory. And this mindset of losing your life, submitting it to, the fo- to following the will of God, the world looks upon that and says, loser, no future. The world looks at that and says, failure, but not the Lord. The Lord says, no, that's the type of person I can use. The one that is not going to waste his life on the now, but invest his life in the future eternally because that's the promise the promise is if you hate your life in this world you'll keep it the idea is not this self-pitying hate the idea is the value of your life is secondary to the value of God's will for your life and here's what that looks like sometimes what it looks like is God has a will for your life and you have an ambitious goal for your life and they often do not meet they are often at odds with one another and then you're faced with making a decision Will I choose my own worldly ambition or will I submit my ambition unto the Lord and let him raise me up? Oswald Sanders in his book Spiritual Leadership on page 15 said this, The word ambition comes from the Latin word meaning campaigning for promotion. The phrase suggests a variety of elements, social visibility, approval, popularity, peer recognition, the exercise of authority over others. Ambitious people in this sense enjoy the power that comes from money and authority. Jesus had no time for such ego-driven ambitions. The true spiritual leader will never campaign for promotion. So we really have to ask ourselves, where is our ambition? Where is it rooted? Where are our desires coming from? Is it for ourselves or for the glory of God? Because certainly God wants to use your education for the glory of God. And certainly God wants you to use your career for his glory. And certainly he has fanned us out in various areas of life to affect and connect with people. But I've also met people that they're all about their career. That's all they're about. Everything about them is about their career. I've met people that all they're about is their retirement, their retirement, their retirement. And man, that's all they're about. And it gives them a sense of comfort that they're all about something that is, may or may not happen. Who knows? And all the while, there's nothing wrong with a career. There's nothing wrong with planning for retirement. The Bible would even indicate us to lay some up for our kids and our grandkids. Nothing wrong with that. Except that if it's in the context of wanting to gain your life, you're going to lose it. 
I've been a pastor for many years now, and I've had the opportunity and the privilege to be at the bedside of many saints that were transitioning from this life into the next. Been at their home under hospice care, and on some of them, I've had the chance to talk to them. And inevitably, that discussion will come up on the topic of regrets. And in the discussion about regrets, I hear regrets all the time about not spending their life and investing in, in the kingdom of God. I've heard regrets where they've thrown their life away in a career because I don't know if you haven't learned um, by now that careers come and go. Companies get bought and sold. Situations change that are out of our control. Layoff notices are being printed up right now. New bosses are coming in and just cost-cutting this and changing this. Businesses in some seasons do really well, and then one little economic downturn, businesses disappear. But all the while, our kids are growing up. All the while, the gospel of the kingdom is waiting to go forth. And all that Jesus is saying is, look, the way of success is dying to yourself. Dying to your own and submitting them to the one who bought you with his own blood. That's what he's saying. You go, what does he mean by that? Well, he gives us the picture in verse 24. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. I mean, you can test this. You could take a seed and plant it, and you could take the same seed, similar seed, and put it on your countertop and watch them. The one that you plant, the one that you water, it is going to disappear and come and develop into something beautiful. The one on the countertop that's left alone, it's just going to sit there and dry up. One has to die in order then to bring forth fruit. The one on the countertop is just going to sit there. It's just going to be there. It's going to dry up. It's going to go away. It's just going to not produce anything. Now, I was thinking of this. Some of you are gardeners. You go, wait a minute, Ed. If I did this kind of seed and I left it on the countertop, it would sprout no problem. Okay, don't use that seed because then you'll mess up my illustration. So use one that, that won't do anything. It'll just dry up there. And then plant the other one and find out what happens. Because Jesus says, just like a grain of wheat, it is useless unless it's buried and it dies and it rises again beautiful picture, isn't it? I mean, everything about the gospel is about life, death, and resurrection. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he won't see the kingdom of God. It's all about death and resurrection, dying to self so that God might bring something else out of us. A dying to ourselves and our ambitions and our ways and our lives and submitting them to the one that oversees your life to use your career for the glory of God and excel in it for the glory of God, to use your education for the glory of God, to use your business, to use your employment, to use your possessions. See, it's the right order and the right motives that makes all the difference in the world. And until you die to yourself, you haven't really lived. I would say that the way to live, I mean, you, you, if you don't die to yourself, you, you aren't going to experience real life. You're just going to go through the motions. You're going to look good on the outside, and you're going to be lifeless on the inside. When Peter first acknowledged, back in Matthew chapter 16, you can jot it down, when he first acknowledged that Jesus was Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For he who seeks to save his life will lose it, but he who will lose his life for my sake, him, the same, will find it. Jesus is saying the same thing here in John chapter 12. If you love your life, you live for this life, you're going to lose it all. You're going to lose it all. But if you live your life for Jesus Christ, you'll discover what, really, what real living really is. 
And Jesus uses the illustration of a seed to give us this great spiritual truth that there's no glory without suffering and there's no fruitful life without death and no victory without surrender because of of itself, a seed is weak and useless, but when it's planted, it dies and becomes fruitful. There is both a beauty and a bounty when a seed dies and fulfills its purpose. If a seed could talk, I'm sure it would say, I don't want to be buried in the dark ground. I don't want to lose myself for something greater. I like myself. But the only way that that seed and you, by way of comparison, can achieve its true goal is by being planted. Jesus says we're like those seeds, small and insignificant in and of ourselves. But we have life in us, so much potential, God's life. And yet that life, friend, can never really be fulfilled unless we yield ourselves to God and permit him to plant us whereby we will die and come back with newness of life and far more than what we could ever think or imagine. We must die to self so that we can live to God. And the only way to have a fruitful life is to follow Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what Jesus is saying here. That is Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And Ed, before you go, let's talk more about this final point. In order to find real life, we must die to self. And yet the world around us is encouraging us in the opposite direction. We're so often encouraged to live for self, love yourself. Let's clear something up. Does the Bible ever tell us to love ourselves? That's a great question, Larry, because that's a real popular topic in our culture today, isn't it? This idea of self-esteem and you need to love yourself and really put yourself. It is the essence of the idolatrous direction of so much of our world. And listen, if you, you hear me right now and you're like super offended by what I say, please hear me out because I don't say it in such a way where I'm pointing the finger. I'm saying it in such a way where I want you to consider it. Please just consider how much this world emphasizes self, everything about self. And it's interesting that the Bible says the exact opposite, that the Bible says we already love ourselves, and that's the problem. He says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. And then he compares that to the love that God has for the church. Like the, the way that we love ourselves is equal to the way that lo God loves the church, except our love shouldn't be for ourselves first. It should be for the Lord and neighbors. That's the order. And so the problem that we have is not that we don't have self-esteem. It's that we esteem ourselves too much and we think of ourselves too much. Now, listen, that doesn't mean you become a doormat. It doesn't mean that you neglect yourself. I mean, we would need a whole other Bible study, don't we, to, to explain that. But what it does mean is that our love and our devotion needs to be toward God first, then toward our neighbor, and you'll find great satisfaction in that order. You'll find great satisfaction in loving God and enjoying him and then loving your neighbor. It's amazing. So, no, we don't need to love ourselves more. We need to love God more. And that's the key. Thanks for sharing that, Pastor Ed. And friend, if you'd like to replay this message, stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also offer an app, which is another great way to listen to Pastor Ed. Just search for Ed Taylor. 
Each month, we pick out a book we think can really help your walk with the Lord and encourage you in the Lord. Today, we're pleased to offer you another excellent resource. It's a book by E.M. Bounds on prayer. Now, you might think of it as seven books in one, and it contains inspiring reflections on the power of prayer. It's broken down into short chapters, so you can read in bite-sized portions. It's a great way to start the day and an excellent addition to your quiet time with God. Request your copy of the book titled E.M. Bounds on Prayer today. To get a copy for a donation of $25 or more, just call us at 877-30-GRACE. That number again, 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. And we also want to remind you that we are listener-supported. Abounding Grace airs all across the nation on stations like this one. But in order to do this, we look to our listeners to help cover some of the costs. You can make a secure donation on our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Just click on Donate. Or if you'd rather call, here's the number, 877-30-GRACE. We'll share another helpful message from Pastor Ed Taylor next time on Abounding Grace. We'll look for you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.